Welcome. You're listening to In The Room, the podcast. Our host, international moderator and MC, Veda Sanasi, creates a meeting point to amplify the valuable voices of our community. From prominent icons to everyday people, In The Room is an opportunity to share their journeys, their perspectives, and boldest aspirations towards tackling global challenges. Ultimately, contributing to rewriting the definition of leadership for the 21st century. I'm Veda Sanasi. Welcome to In The Room, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by one of the most accomplished and remarkable young leaders in Africa, Mr. James Moria. James is the CEO of Centum Investment, a role he has occupied for the last 12 years. James is also a Tutu Fellow and the current Chancellor of Machakos University. In 2011, only three years after becoming CEO of Centum Investment, he won the Africa Young Business Leader of the Year Award. Centum Investment is today the largest publicly traded company in East Africa. It has deployed over $218 million worth of investment. James, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. James, um, this is quite a remarkable journey. It's even more remarkable how young you were when you were appointed CEO. Tell us, how did that come about? Yeah, now that I look back, I, I realize I was quite young. I was, <clears throat> I was that years at the time. Uh, but I'd been with the organization for seven years previously. I started off as an intern in the fighting room. And um, <clears throat> I enjoyed that role a lot because I took it as a, as a learning opportunity. And so I would read the files. And, and I was really determined to get to understand the investment process. So then... Through that, uh, one day the CEO at the time decided to administer a quiz on the on the staff, and I scored the highest, and that's how I got <laughs> a job. And I got a job as an accountant. But after about one year, you know, doing accounting, I went for my December holiday and I asked myself, what would be different if I stopped doing my job? Would the would the quantum of the numbers I'm accounting for change? And I realized nothing really would change. It's just that probably they'd get another accountant. And so I started thinking about how can I play a more direct role in driving the numbers rather than just sort of counting the numbers? How do I make my job more meaningful and how do I make a bigger contribution? And so I started volunteering to do to take on greater responsibilities in the organization. And ultimately, I ended up being head of investments when, when I was probably 26 uh, so I was in that role for about two years, and at that time, the, the board was very conservative. So we took a number of investment opportunities to the board, and they were declined. And so I engaged with the board, and I said, look, I really want to add value. And because the organization is not yet at that point where they want to do new things, I'm better off leaving. So I left uh, for about a year, and the board came back and said, no, James, we'd like you to come back. And I said, no, I was not really looking for a job. I was looking for a chance to really do something meaningful. And they said, yeah, what is it meaningful work you want to do? And I said, okay, no problem. Give me a couple of weeks. I put together a strategy document. And I presented to you what I think I can do. And they gave me that opportunity. And I presented to the board. And they bought into it. And, and, and they appointed me to execute that plan. And, and, and the rest is where we are today. That was uh, slightly about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So from, from accountant to head of investment, h- how long did that take you? It took me, I was appointed as an accountant in 2001. 
and I was head of investments in 2005. Mm-hmm. So, or late 2004. So, it was about three to four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in just that one meeting, two weeks, you prepare a strategy document and you became CEO. What magic did you put in that strategy document? I think, I think it was two things. It was not just the strategy document. It was the interaction I'd had with the board in the period when I was with the organization. Mm-hmm. So there was a fair degree of uh, credibility mm-hmm. in terms of ability and commitment to, to follow through. But then, in the, but then one of the challenges that I'd, I'd, I'd picked out which was really hampering us from an execution perspective. We didn't have a clearly laid out mm. strategic document. So so whenever we so we were fairly misaligned. Mm. And I thought it was important for us to have a degree of alignment, uh, a degree of focus in what it is we're going to do. And that's really what I proposed and the various business lines would look. So sort of brought order mm-hmm. uh, to the business. And one of the important questions they asked me, said, Jim, how much do you want to earn a CEO? I say, look, I'm a, I'm a business person. Mm-hmm. I want to create value and for my team to get a share of that value. And if we don't create any value or I lose value, whatever you've paid me, I'm happy to refund. <laughs> and so that was a very straightforward uh, uh, you know, conversation. So from the onset, there was a very high degree of alignment. And mm-hmm. in fact, we did not meet again to discuss strategy. Mm-hmm. We had the strategy approved in January of 2009. Of no, in January of 2009, we next met to discuss strategy in 2014, huh, and we had exceeded each of the metrics mm-hmm. uh, we had set for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <coughs> when you're getting appointed as CEO at the age of 30, how does that make you feel? You know, it's only now that I look back and I realize that I was very young. But at the time when I was that, I actually thought I was ready. I thought it was okay. I didn't see anything uh, unusual about it. I guess. At every age, you feel old. So I actually felt old at, uh, mm-hmm. at that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, at every age, you feel old. I, wanna, I would like for you to introduce us to um, James Moria before becoming CEO. Tell us a bit more about James the child. How was, he, was he a troublesome child? Was he, what, what was he up to? Did no, he feel I, old? I, I think I was a very... Um, I was one of those very obedient okay. uh, you know, children... Uh, and I, 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 you know, I remember when I was 11, my dad was a lawyer. So when I was 11 in class six, yeah, which would be the equivalent of, equivalent of grade six, he made the decision that I would no longer be at home during the holidays and I would go and work with him in the office. So I'd been sort of working for a long time in the law firm or in my mom's uh, restaurant for, for a long time, I've been in the sort of involved in, in work. And so, besides my very, very early childhood, uh, age, age, age 5 to, to 11, onwards I've been involved in one economic activity or, or another supporting my parents. And, and I think that was a blessing because you get your training very early on. You, you know, you've been in a professional setup. We're doing agreements. Uh, I remember uh, filing. And so a lot of those skills that later you have, it's only later that you reflect and realize that you pick them up very early on. And I think that's something that I'm also trying to do for my children, because you don't expect somebody will just pitch up at 23 and understand if you've not taken the time to give them that opportunity, even within 
your own local context because that's what I'm fortunate enough my parents did that for for me. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like you you learned the trade very early on by by just being around your parents. Yeah, my, by nature I'm very I'm a curious person and sort of ambitious. So so even when I was in the in my dad's office, I used to read. I was I was doing filing, so I used to read the files. Uh, even meet clients, uh, go to the courtroom, try to get the context of why things work the way they they they, they do. And so even when I started working at Centum, it was sort of obvious what one needs to. To, to do it's not something so I think that kind of uh, mentorship mm-hmm. uh, that I got from my parents prepared me very well for for the role that I later later had and you know my my dad had a very in the workplace we had a very professional relationship so I would, I would draft documents and give them to the secretary and they would be reviewed like any other document from anybody else it didn't matter that I was his 11 year old son and all that does it gives you confidence to believe you can do regardless of your age. Mm. So even at 12, he says, I expect you to do a quality job, even at that age, mm. and, and, and sort of holding you to a very high high standard, which ultimately becomes a part of you, becomes a part of your own you know, identity. You expect that of, your, of yourself and you hold yourself to a very high, a very high standard. Yeah. You, you use the word mentorship. Would you say your father was very deliberate in the way he coached you, or it, he happened to be kind of a mentor at distance? You know, or was he really involved and he would have deep conversations and and really re- help you reflect on, on on what you were learning at the time? No, you know, he's an African uh, he's an African parent at the end of the day. But I think what he did is that he created an environment for us to grow. Uh, earlier when I was in uh, I think I was thinking about it the other day when I was in class 2 we, we used to live in a small town called Nanyuki and uh, it was raining heavily and we came from our primary school to his office normally we used to walk home, it's about 3 kilometers so we came to his office and told the secretary that let dad know we are here it's raining today we want to, we'll wait for him to come together I think maybe I was in class 4 and, and he sent a message to the secretary and said, ask those boys to go, are they made of salt? So, <laughs> sort of creating that environment where you toughen up, where you you have high... That's, that, I think, is what he did. Uh, we didn't have too much heart-to-heart uh, discussion. We, we did later, you know, James, I think you should do this. I think you should make these kind of investments. Uh, but it was that kind of of, of father to me. So here you are, 11 year old, working with your father, going through files. What were you thinking? What were your aspirations at that point? Did you have a vision for Yeah, it? my aspiration was that I was going to be a lawyer. A lawyer? Yeah, my, 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 my and, and I studied law. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be a lawyer, and uh, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and uh, so that for me was, was natural because that's what I knew, uh, that's what I was exposed to. But then uh, what happened is that when we were in Form 4, uh, Strathmore College came to conduct interviews for students to join the college. And I did the interview. And there were only two choices at that time, either to study accounting or uh, computers. 
I ended up picking accounting. I never studied accounting before. And uh, I enrolled because at the time for you to join the public universities in Kenya, there was a two-year gap waiting period between the time you finish secondary school and the time you join university. Mm-hmm. So so in that period, I, I opted to study accounting. And when I got to study accounting, I really enjoyed it. I, it's a language of business. And I realized that an interest in, in, in business and and. I ended up studying law, but it opened my my eyes to a totally different world that I I did not know existed. And as part of that curiosity, fortunately, I ended up at invest at Centum, which was an investment company. And um, for me, it brought together everything. It brought together the law. It brought together economics. It brought together accounting. It brought together finance. So it was the culmination of mm-hmm. all those skills. Mm-hmm in one place, mm. and that's why I enjoy uh, investment. So sort of, I ended up here accidentally. I never thought I would be an investment professional because even here I started as an accountant. Mm. Mm. Uh, that was my work. But then learning the profession sort of as an apprentice um, was very useful. Mm. Yeah. And since then you felt like this is, a, this, is, this is the industry I want to be in, this is the path forward, you don't miss law, Actually, I practice law here because, you know, look, when you're going to make an investment decision or you're making a transaction, you do a lot of transactions, the, the, the quantum of legal input is quite high. But the beauty is that this combines all the disciplines. You, you need to understand accounting, you need to understand the law, you need to understand whether you're in agriculture, in uh, engineering, you, it brings all the disciplines together. But the beauty is that you can make a difference. You actually create things. You you you, you build enterprises. You create uh, employment opportunities. You make a difference in the lives of many people. So that ability to be able to combine capital with investment opportunities, that platform, I think, is a very unique platform, and it's a huge blessing. And uh, hopefully, God willing, this is something I'll probably do for the rest of my life. I, I it, it, it connects with my passion. So it's something I'll do whether I'm paid or not, I something I really enjoy doing. It connects with your passion. What is your passion? How did you come to know that that's your passion? I think I came to know it by doing. So by being in the setting and doing the work and trying to learn more about how it works, you realize you really enjoy it. You know, it's rough. In a sense, I was fortunate. I think if I ended up, say, as a mu- musician, or as an artist, I would not have enjoyed it as much, or as an architect, but this is something I really, really enjoy, and I spend many hours thinking about the economy, how things relate, how how the whole machine works, how the whole economic machine works, how it relates to business. Then applying the curious mind to see why do some businesses work, why don't they work, trying to qualify, trying to come up with a structure to the madness. And this is something... I'm able to even in my free time, just always. So it's something I'm deeply interested in. And and that makes the work very easy and uh, and, and very enjoyable. James, one passion or um, a big interest of yours is, is, is talent development. And, and what many people keep talking about the talent problem and the talent issue um, in Kenya, in Africa, for our listeners' sake, can you maybe just paint a picture of, of what that issue looks like and, and why is it important right now for us? 
Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think, um, no, it's an absolutely uh, a critical issue because you have, um, today our constraint is getting the right match of skills to the opportunity. So you have a lot of people looking for opportunities, but on the employer end, you have very few people who meet the requirements to do those jobs very, very well. And um, and that applies not just at entry level, but across the entire, entire base. And it's probably a reflection either of our academic system we've chosen and making it more practical. So it's, 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 heavily, it's heavily academic. So my sense and my view has been, and that's what I've always shared with my team, is that the better off we do our jobs, the greater ability to create opportunities for more people. So the better off you have the right match of talent, the quicker you can scale up and the quicker you can create opportunities for more people. So talent development is in a sense a tool to productivity enhancement, which enhances the need for more talent. So it sort of feeds into into it into into itself. And so from that extent it's extremely it's extremely re- relevant. And when, from my mind, I talk about talent development, it's not just uh, the technical competencies of, 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 of doing the job. I think it is the, the attitudes, it is the character, it is the interpersonal uh, skills, it is even the culture of learning and, uh, and relearning that you need to inculcate in the teams that we work with so that they are highly adaptive but also that they, they, they make a connection between what it is they do and the value that they create because sometimes that connection is not uh, is, is, is not there and how is it that I can do my job better so that I can have greater impact on the um, on the output on the output end mm-hmm. all that all these um traits that you're describing, the character, etc. It doesn't sound to me that these are things that generally you learn um, at school. Mm. Well, then where do you learn that if it is so critical for you to be able to succeed yeah. in the workplace? So, so some we've, uh, some we've partnered mm. with partners such as yourself. So mm. we have like the middle management uh, program mm-hmm. where, we, where we developed a program around self-awareness, communication, decision-making, uh, managing people, because it's true. They are not, they are not taught. Mm-hmm. And some, you, I take every opportunity in, in a review. We also use it as a coaching mm-hmm. uh, session. So not just the performance review, mm-hmm. but the business review. Where are we getting the results you are getting? And how could this have been done differently? And, and then encouraging all the leaders to also sort of adopt that coaching mindset so that our teams, those people who work with us, are, are learning on a continuous basis because you have the formal training, you then have the informal training. But the bigger one, the bigger issue, I think, is also creating that self-awareness so that the teams are also individual learners. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can go out, look for material. Mm-hmm. 
Because when you know what you don't know and, and the importance of mm-hmm. knowing it, mm-hmm. then, and you have a curious mind, mm-hmm. which is part of what we assess for at the point of recruitment and you're ambitious, mm-hmm. then you'll seek out the knowledge because it's somewhere out there. It's either in a, somebody's story, it may be in a podcast, it may be on a YouTube channel, it may be on a book, it may be mm-hmm. sitting in there, but you're, you're picking up all these nuggets mm-hmm. and eventually combining them uh, sort of for your growth journey. When you're sitting with someone and you're doing, let's say, a performance review, and, and as you said, you know, you, you take another, you put on a, on a coach's hat, uh, is it easy to get somebody to see the connection between uh, a performance or a lack of performance and some of these very personal and individual skills that, that you just talked about? Yeah, and uh, it is and it is not. It depends on the character of the person. And just recently, I was sitting with my HR people and saying, what are the most important characteristics that work for us? Mm-hmm. People with a high level of personal accountability, mm-hmm. it is easy and straightforward. Mm-hmm. They have, they take personal responsibilities with a direct correlation between the actions and the results. Mm-hmm. And so for them, it's straightforward. People where it's low, it's very difficult because then there'll be a million and one other reasons why it did not happen. Mm-hmm. So, so therefore, there's no direct, they don't see the direct correlation mm-hmm. between themselves and what they did. So it, it, the success depends very much on the, on, on, on the character mm-hmm. of, the, of the individual. And that character is learned or you're born with it? Is it nature or is it nature? And I think, I think it's, it can be learned. And mm-hmm. uh, part of what we're now doing mm-hmm. is through psychometrics, able to tell you this is where you are mm-hmm. so take this psychometric this is where so it's so like we have one tool now mm-hmm. which looks at a number of like 10 points commitment reliability uh, go-getting uh, initiative uh, etc and tells you where it is you sit mm-hmm. and where mm-hmm. it is that this role expects you to be and what the gap is and because it's a psychometric it's not somebody saying then then you then understand the gap. And once you understand the gap, then you can, it's something that you can work on. Mm-hmm. It's something that you, you, at least you are conscious of mm-hmm. uh, and that you can then start uh, start working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could not agree more with you that these are these are very essential skills um, that, that need to be developed and which is why you know, a number of um, organizations are now trying to, to step into that into that space. It sounds that some of these skills are fairly basic. If you think about, you know, it sounds like you're just trying to get people to cross a certain threshold, to have yeah. some, some basic stuff yeah. to be able to, to, yeah. to, to operate. We were talking earlier about what it takes to build excellent world-class um, companies. What, what, is it sufficient for people to just cross that threshold? Where is the ceiling? Is there a ceiling? No, I think the, the, the threshold is a foundation. And, and it's essential. Mm-hmm. But because of our academic system, we start with the other things. Mm-hmm. So you find individuals who are highly trained, they have all these other things, but the foundations are very weak. Mm-hmm. And so when you put them in a leadership position, if the commitment level is weak, if the reliability level is weak, if the resilience is not there, it doesn't matter if you have a PhD. If you understand that, what will happen is that the knowing, what I call the knowing doing gap, mm-hmm. will be very, very big. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of the other technical stuff is easy to know. But the application now, the execution, there's nothing we do here that is that is special. But it is in executing with the discipline what we all know needs to be done. Uh, that curiosity, that uh, uh, thoroughness, saying this is my sort of having a very high standard. Mm-hmm. And that's why we are seeing a high return on investment mm-hmm. in focusing on the fundamentals because sometimes the fundamentals are taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And so you have a highly qualified individual on paper, but the performance does not correlate mm-hmm. with, the, with the qualification. So it's not that they don't know. It's that some of the either personal skills or leadership competencies are, are not there and they are not taught. And really, there's no particular emphasis on them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's university, no one examines you on them. It's when you come to the school of life uh, <laughs> that you realize, yeah. Uh, you know, when you say you're going to do this thing mm-hmm. by this week, mm-hmm. you need to do it by this week, not next week, and then explain why you do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those are sort of the basics, mm-hmm. yeah. Not, not to de-emphasize the rest of the things. The rest mm-hmm. of the things, obviously, mm-hmm. you're obviously training on Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of, we have a number of people who facilitated to go for mm-hmm. master's programs in various Ivy League mm-hmm. uh, universities. Mm-hmm. But sort of, it's a it's a continuous mm-hmm. uh, uh, journey. But you need that foundation. Oh, you need that foundation, and that, the other thing that is critical is then having organizational processes mm-hmm. that make it easy for people within the organization to do well. Mm-hmm. So that you're not really so much. Yes, you're, you're also relying on individual accountability, but you also have organizational accountability. Mm-hmm that as long as you're a member of this organization, mm-hmm. it will somehow make you go, incline you to go in this particular direction. So if you're sort of borderline, mm-hmm. you most likely will fall on the other side. Mm-hmm. So having processes that tilt performance mm-hmm. towards the direction that you want to, mm-hmm. and that are not too reliant on individual discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I suppose once that foundation is there, um, part of the foundation is in incepting this idea of continuous learning and yeah. then the person can take responsibility yeah, now for, to, their, for their development. For their development. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. can take full responsibility for their for their development. And they can seek out opportunities, even when others don't see the the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this expression that goes something like this, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you are in the wrong room, mm-hmm. right? And I suppose the idea there is that if you want people to have really high standards, you need to show them what high standards look like. You need to put them amongst people who hold a, a high bar of, of excellence. So how, how do you think about showing your guys what the bar really looks like to be uh, an amazing or remarkable company? Yeah, so, and, and you're absolutely correct. So a number of our people moving from middle management to senior management or senior leadership, you know, we send them for executive leadership programs. We've sent a number to INSEAD, Harvard, to interact with other professionals. Mm-hmm. And then you start appreciating, yeah, I thought I was doing well, but I met people doing even oh, better. better yeah. And because they're ambitious, mm-hmm. they, they have strong character, they, have, they then understand. Mm-hmm. They then start having aspirations. Mm-hmm beyond what they had before they went for those programs. They push the bar higher. So well. they end up pushing the bar higher mm-hmm. for themselves mm-hmm. because yeah. at a leadership level, you want somebody who has a higher standard 
for themselves than you as their supervisor have of them. Yeah. Yeah. If their own personal standard is lower, you will achieve the you will achieve their standard. Yeah. <laughs> if it is higher, then they will exceed the expectation. Mm-hmm. And so that was part of what I was talking about in terms of organizational processing. What is it that we need to do to push people towards a higher standard? And even in small things, like over the weekend we have a business, it's not doing great, but there was a call for entries for, for competition in their sector. And I sent it to them and said, guys, we need to aspire to be able to make a submission. It was us thinking, yeah, we can, yeah, we can move beyond being just average. We can be the best in our, mm-hmm. in our, in our, in our, in our craft. So it's, it's small, small things like that, even in the portfolio management process, that move people and the organization further towards that side. Mm-hmm. So it's the way you recruit, it's the way you develop, it's the, the processes you... It's even the environment. So like when we're doing these offices, you know, I say, look, I'm really open, I say, look, guys, we want to create a world-class environment so that when you come here, you realize you have to produce world-class output. Absolutely. Uh, if the environment is shabby, <laughs> then people will give you a shabby uh, yeah. you know, output. Out, yeah, output. Yeah. So it's it's not one thing. It's a combination of, mm-hmm. of many, 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 many things. It's yeah. the environment, it's the ecosystem, yeah. it's the people. In and the accountability, you know, mm-hmm. calling it as it is. You know, if you say average work is great work, yeah. <laughs> uh, then, then that becomes the, the bar. Uh, that becomes the bar. You can say, no, this, it's okay. Yeah. But this is where we should be. Mm-hmm. So we need to close this this gap and, and and as a leader it can be tiring it can be frustrating it but I think you get a price for never really compromising you know saying I, I will not compromise the standards even if we have to do it ten times let's carry on doing it until we get it until we get it right and you as a leader how do you make sure that you are not the smartest guy in the room yeah that's always the you know, the risk is you sort of get into an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so one some of the ways you solve for it is even in the quality of the board members you have. Because you want to have board members who you can learn from and who have done more than you have done. Mm-hmm. Then they are useful. Uh, and not taking yourself too seriously because you yourself are on on your own growth growth journey and so listening and and taking feedback you know being able to take feedback and uh, that's one and then even when you have a chance to recruit senior staff just going out of your way to recruit really good people just trying to recruit the best possible person that, that, that you know that you can and um, and listening and and letting them excel in what it is that 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 they're good at because as a leader you're sort of like a conductor and so you need very good players you're not mm-hmm. the player yourself you you don't want to be the player if you're the player then you have a problem mm-hmm. you want to be a conductor of a great of a team of experts mm-hmm. and so sort of surrounding yourself with those experts and and giving them an opportunity to shine as you do the coordination. Uh, I think that is important. And I think that that thing is, I always try when we have ideas 
even investment ideas, to test them with people who I consider knowledgeable. And uh, when we disagree, or they have a view contrary to what I thought, I always take a step back and ask, why is it that they are right, and why is it that I'm wrong? Because you're not always right, and that has saved us from many investment decisions that have been poor, mm-hmm. which I was had very strong conviction. Mm-hmm. And and some people, especially people with a lot of experience, because of the experience, they know a lot of things intuitively. They will not tell you why, but they know it intuitively. But the fact that they know it intuitively means probably you've missed something in mm-hmm. your in your analytical process. Which you're just not aware of because you it's don't have that experience. Yeah, so, so taking a step back, mm-hmm thinking and sort of taking it a bit slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being courageous enough to open your ideas to scrutiny and to be challenged is, is really, really important because the worst thing that can happen here in an investment organization is to make the wrong investment decision because we are stuck with it. Unwinding a poor investment decision is very, very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will, and you'll pay for it over many, many years. <laughs> Uh, and financially. And financially, yeah, and the pain, yeah. and the headache. Yeah. So, you know, those are things you want to take slowly, you want to consult, you want to ask, uh, and, and and just don't be afraid that mm. somebody will say it's a horrible idea. Uh, listen them out. They, they may be right. You, you say open yourself to scrutiny, open yourself to feedback. As a leader, do you just wait for that scrutiny and feedback to come? Or I do think you, you seek it out. You know, mm. you, you you tease out what it is you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may have an idea about an industry and, you know, you know, like for me, I talk with everybody. I'll, I'll, I'll meet a contractor somewhere who may be a client of that company or something and I'll ask them a question. I'm, I'm trying to find out more about something and a sort of, yeah, cross-referencing and being open to whatever you hear, mm-hmm. whether positive or, or negative and sort of, it's like a painting, you want to understand, you want to get as many data points as, as, as possible. So, so it's, I think something that you need to be, and I'm trying, I'm not yet there, being more proactive mm-hmm. on even seeking it out with staff, I'm also not yet there. Mm-hmm. But on my leadership journey, I'd like to do more of that, mm-hmm. yeah. James, on that question of talent development, it seems that you have been able to put the resources um, to support the growth and development of a number of your staff, mid-level managers, senior leaders, and you have a very clear, evident belief in, 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 in that growth journey. To some of our listeners out there who you know are also business leaders but may not have these kind of resources, whether it is time or um, financial resources to grow um, a significant number of, of their talent. What, what, what should they do if talent is so important and yet such a big problem? I think, um, you know, I always believe you work with what you have. Uh, where you are, there's always something you can use to grow your talent at the size of the organization that you that you are in. You know, a lot of people are very generous with with knowledge, and part of even what we have been working on with here is is is, uh, is is talks from industry experts. So, even inviting an industry expert 
to your organization, having just some structured curriculum of the things you'd like to cover in the year, and thinking who who is it that can speak to your staff, and um, an hour. A lot of people will find are very generous with the time. I do a lot of those for for organizations, and 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 people end up planning, and 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 getting exposed in a very inexpensive uh, manner. I also buy books for, you know, like when the books that I think that are good, one of the things we started off here very early on is a, is a library. So things simple like that, mm-hmm. where we would buy books, put them in the library, uh, share with people what we brought in the library, why, what the alignment between the material and the competency we are, we are working on. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find you found staff borrowing those books and going home to, you know, to read. Uh, sometimes it may be just supporting them on their professional education mm-hmm. uh, when they pass the exams. So I think there are a number of things one can do which are inexpensive and where you can create some time that can be very helpful even if you cannot afford to send them to, to an expensive program. Earlier on, when we didn't have a bigger budget, we'd send one person mm. and they had a requirement to come and train everybody else. Then we'd do the training on weekends mm. when we cannot afford to send everybody. We also sometimes tied up our training as an incentive for good performance. Mm-hmm. So then you can go for formal training. But then also it's conditional upon you coming and running the program uh, mm-hmm. internally. Uh, there are also a lot of uh, free resources or not as expensive resources that you can put in your intranet. Today, many organizations, even relatively small organizations, some form of computer system. And you can create a library where people can uh, access material, podcasts, and the rest that are relevant mm-hmm. to, to the profession that they're in. Mm-hmm. I think the final one is just a modeling, a leadership modeling. I, I remember earlier on, when we used to run uh, the investment team, I used to do the trainings myself. How do you want the model done? Then I'll take after work. Now what we do is almost the same thing, is that the team picks a topic and everybody is responsible for teaching a particular topic. Mm-hmm. So you have the responsibility to learn that particular area and come and teach others. So just mm-hmm. taking time. I think it's more showing the importance and, and taking time within the day, within the week, Typically, we tend to do these things after work. Mm-hmm. But you as a leader showing up for the training sessions or the coaching sessions means that it's, it's important. So you're saying that it could be as simple as having a culture of learning and yeah. growth yeah. and it has nothing to do with resources. Yeah, and that's free. Mm-hmm. That's free. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. totally free. Yeah. And you personally will say mission accomplished at Centim when? I really don't know because it's a never-ending journey. Mm. As Chris would say, it's a mirage, you know, mm. because every time you do this, you want to do more. Mm. So I don't know. You know, I'm here. I never thought I'd be in Centum. Never thought I'd be CEO of Centum. Never thought we'd come this far. So I don't know what purpose God has for us. So you you carry on and uh, you let things unfold. But for me, the job I'm doing now is the most important job. So, and that's something I made a deliberate decision. When I came to Centum, I said, I'm, I'm not going to look for another job. 
I'm not going to say I'm going to be CEO of Centum and then apply to be a CEO of a bigger company. I'm going to try and make this work. And 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 this is the most important job I'm doing. So even now, this is the most important job I'm doing, and I think I can do a better job than I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. So for now, this is what. For now, into the foreseeable future, this is my focus, and uh, as I said earlier, it's connected to my passion. So I'd rather be doing nothing else but this. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. Um, when you hit your um, sell-by date in life, what is the one thing you want the world to remember you for? I think um, I think uh, the, the, the the lives will have touched uh, the many people will have touched. The, the fact that you have demonstrated that it's possible for 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 African enterprises to be to be successful and to be globally competitive, uh, to have Africa-bred, Africa-led multinationals that can punch at the same weight as mm-hmm. as other global enterprises. I think if we achieve that, that will be a great legacy. I think it will give great confidence to to Africans that we can be more than SMEs. Our story is not just about SMEs, about even from East Africa, we can, we can, we, we are capable, we are, we are able to, to, to compete with, with the best in the world and, and, and to be successful uh, here in Africa. That's your life mission? For, for now, that's what I'm, I'm doing. If uh, in 10 years time, I'll be in a different point in life. But for now, that's my, mm. that's my mission, yeah. All the best. Yeah. James, thank you so much. Really enjoyed my time with you. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Join us next time in the room as we co-create the journey to enable your life's mission.